Hello everyone, and welcome to the Quorum Podcast. This is where academic medicine meets remote, austere, and resource-limited areas. With me today is Simon and Jim. Uh, Simon Ruparella and Jim Allen have been on the, the first cohort of our Bachelors of Remote Paramedic Practice. Jim, can you uh, say hello and, and a little bit about your background? I'm Jim, and um, I have a military background and an overlanding background. And uh, I work with uh, media organizations, training them for hostile environments and um, looking after them in these places. And that can be anything from a war zone to a, a jungle um, with a film crew. And so I, I look after um, them security-wise and medically-wise in, in these places. And I started a long time ago on these um, medical courses. Um, as I grew into the job, I needed more medical experience. So I've always looked towards Karam and, and grown through that, through that way. Good deal. Simon, can you introduce yourself? Give us a bit of background. Hi, Abrick. So I'm Simon. I'm originally from the UK. Um, I now work in healthcare marketing in Singapore as the day job. Uh, I'm a third year student on the bachelor program, and I've spent my clinical hours at uh, KCMC Tanzania already. So I'm really embedded in the program already and heading towards the end. I see the end in sight now, which is great. I'm also on the uh, Wilderness Medical Society Fellowship candidate process. It's probably going to take me a few more years to complete as well. So uh, aside from the day job, then this is my one other true passion and I dedicate most of the time to that. Good deal. Jim, are you on the farm as well? I think I was, but I think it's lapsed. I've had a manic year um, and a lot of things have lapsed. I've moved and re renovated a house. So I think I've let things slip a bit. No worries. We can get you back on track. So Jim, why did you choose the, the core ambassadors program? How did you find us the first two years of the program? How have you found it? I started my paramedic program a long time in the, the predecessor to Coram Merit because I actually, I started off, I was actually put um, in places as being the medic and realized that I wasn't actually, um, I was way out of my depth. And so I came back to Coram to build the knowledge and, and, and become a, a better medic. Um, and I say I'd already done the paramedic side of it and then the degree part wasn't actually there when i first started so i came when i came back did the first year that four or five years ago um and then so i came in at, at year two to, to carry on and build into the into the degree program as it as the degree program developed i don't know i must have been at the right place at the right time and, and it came it, it all came together sort of um right at the beginning um so i've kind of grown with Chiram at the same time um, as, as, as Brian personally. You kind of rode the wave, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> the program has sort of um, grown and um, we've slotted in um, um, with, with that. Because actually, if you look at it, um, all the time and effort and studying to do the paramedic, it made sense to carry on the study to, because being from the UK, the paramedic qualification is not recognized that well. So by having a degree with it, actually, it um, it opens a lot more doors and um, people say, oh, you've got a degree in it. Oh, right. So it sort of um, makes it a lot easier in the UK ha having a degree um, as well as the European um, paramedic um, qualification. So, Simon, how did you find the college and, and what made you decide to and do the bachelor's of paramedic program? I guess there's some similarities in, uh, in, my, in my reasons, same as Jim. I had a background in the uh, British Army Reserve, and I trained as a combat medic. And then from then on, when I was doing my, my, my day job, I had a few years of search and rescue training on the side as well, urban search and rescue in the UK. Uh, and then two working stints in eastern West Africa at an EMT level, which really just blew my mind as to what I could do 
and what I couldn't do. And, and I think that was the moment where I realized that my, I had so much holes in my knowledge, just like Jim is saying. Um, and, and I needed to approach medical education in a holistic way. Uh, so the paramedic program uh, offered the solution uh, through Coroman, and it was a case of back to the basics through AMP, and then onwards through tropical medicine and the clinical time that uh, I've already done and I, I still got to do. So all of that was already laid out. You already had the foundation for that, and that was what was really appealing. I think the biggest draw for me was the austere and remote element anyway, for sure, because I had a limited experience in that, and I knew I loved that environment. Um, and the opportunity for the clinical placements in the places that I loved going to, uh, which was in Africa and then beyond, and the opportunity to go uh, to do other, other placements elsewhere. So I don't think I was ever going to be actively working in an urban setting, and definitely not in the UK. I haven't been there for many years. So this was a program which was really spot on to my passions, the holes in my knowledge, and then really where I wanted to take it in the future. But also with the program, Right. If you look at like um, becoming um, a medic, a paramedic in the UK, you have to go to university to do it. You have to stop what you're doing, stop earning, hand your job in, and you um, have to go um, to, to get a degree. This program allows you to carry on doing your job and study part time. Um, and, you know, you have to commit to it, you know, to go to the um, clinical programs and in, into Malta and everything. But it allows you to continue working and earning money and paying mortgages and still study. And that's, that was, that's another thing about the program. It's a, it's a big draw. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I think for me, the, um, the ability to fly around the world, to do those placements and do them well and attend the training, that takes commitment and time and money and effort. And having a day job and being able to fit it around the day job was an important factor. So absolutely, by far. I think also having an employer who was very understanding, especially on the clinical time, allowing me to do the clinical time in the, the stints and timings that I wanted to do it um, was very good as well. So the whole, the whole, the stars aligned and we ended up on the program and so far so good. And now we find ourselves in the third year, which is fantastic. So what do you guys plan to do with this, Jim? Well, for me, um, it kind of cements everything together, I say, um, and allows when I, when I deploy, um, overseas say looking after a tv film crew they're, they're, they're filming some rare bird and we're going to some um, jungle and I'm, I'm tasked as being their medic i have a, a, a tele conversation with the doctor who's the top cover and he goes through your medical qualifications and what drugs you're taking and all that sort of stuff you know having more qualifications and more something like a degree they don't sort of necessarily see that the, the paramedic qualification is um like oh well, what's this and then you have to explain it and then and, you know and you go through it. it i think it just sort of makes it easier for them to sort of go okay yeah or, you know what i mean it, it's it's it sort of relaxes them more they can relate to it i think a lot more um by having um a degree the thing is with with qualifications it doesn't matter if you know if you've got an australian qualification american qualification a british one a european one there's always crossover and the people who from say if you're an american looking at a european qualification or, or a british qualification you you know what, what where does that actually sit and i think you know when, when you when you actually sort of say this is degree level then there's there's a sort of uh, a sort of a, a line so they can sort of agree on that you know that you've been you know uh, well drilled i think for me i'd like to specialize eventually in um in critical care critical care transport uh, in particular focus on remote area evacuation or, or remote area support in, in kind of an intensive care environment or or the austere version of that i think both the challenge of um 
of acute clinical management of a patient with the logistics of an evacuation, that's that's just one big problem solving hairy exercise, right? Which I, I find really uh, stimulating from an intelligent point of view, from a, from the environmental point of view. That's motivating, that appeals to me. I wanna be in that environment and challenge myself to do that best level care and as well solve all the other issues of evacuation or or next level care or wherever that may be so that's where i want to head to but i think that's way way into the future um after i i master the basic skills in the shorter term i'd like to work towards my ibsc exams um critical care or the or the flight paramedic kind of considering what is the best option now uh, and that will just underline my skills at that level and then we'll take it from there you're totally qualified to take those now. I mean, after the first year, you're already paramedic and you can sit these board certifications. Go for it. And they have this new uh, board certified wilderness paramedic as well. That's that's coming out shortly. I think this uh, is an interesting development because one thing that drew me to paramedicine in the first place was because it was so young and it was evolving. And on the previous podcast, you, you heard Dr. DeMello talking about the fact that this is a, uh, a profession that needs to uncover the data within it. And, and that will come, you know, it's been around for 10 years or 20 years or so, right, in an urban and a military setting. But beyond that, there isn't that data and that, that background. So what's exciting about the whole profession is where it could go and the evolution of that. And then along with that becomes the qualifications, the frameworks, and those specialist exams like the IBSC's uh, wilderness one, which is very exciting for recognition, for new job opportunities, uh, and that will just draw more and more people in to look at the profession as a as a very strong framework, evidence based profession, which is part and parcel of the of the medical world, and, and that is very exciting to me. Yeah, there's definitely uh, room uh, to grow in the states. Paramedicine has been around since the '70s in a very limited fashion. That's it's underneath the Department of Transportation. It's not a Department of Health issue. And paramedicine, if you look at from the European, Australian, and, and I'm putting UK and European very loosely there, but the paramedic world has, it is young. It, I mean, we're looking at early 2000s that it started getting any type of traction. In, in Ireland, we didn't have anything until 2002, I think it was. They sent a bunch of lads to Boston to get their NREMT, came back, and suddenly there's effect paramedic. And now there's a master's advanced paramedic. Uh, and of course, the Brits, they have they are the world leader. They have their master's level practitioner. And we designed the uh, master's austere critical care as a austere side of that practitioner level. But watch this space. There's going to be uh, a lot of advancements and changes. And, and we're trying to make this um, scientific and academic and research base. Which brings me to the next question. Can you guys tell me about a clinical case that was of interest to you, uh, Jim? You know, I, I had the opportunity to, to when we were in um, Joburg in, in Tambo Memorial, and you've got a lot of um, gunshot wounds and things like that coming in quite regularly. If you mention a gunshot wound, say, in the UK, um, it's like all the police are all around and everyone is a big fuss and, and everything like there. It's just like it's common day thing. And so you have a guy comes in. Um, we had a prisoner who, well, basically he'd broken into someone's house and he'd been shot five times. 
mostly in the butt and dealing with him in the handcuffs you know i mean that the police wouldn't let him on unha- me unhandcuffed to the bed and you know just dealing um you know with him I and mean, you were we were actually suturing some of the, the there was he was still bleeding quite heavily and they were just putting big pretty big sutures in, in into him um just to shut 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 the bleeding down start the life support on him um still in handcuffs you know um it, it's the reality of, 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 of the place you know whereas you know like human rights and all that sort of stuff weren't so 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 um, involved. It was more um, uh, he was a criminal and he wasn't going to get away. And there was no way with his injuries he was going to get away. But um, but you know, but you, you were trying to do life-saving trauma um, medicine on on someone who's um, strapped to the bed, um, and the police there armed guard. What 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 should you do? And the doctors were, were fantastic because of the way they treated us was they treated us quite seniorly, and we were able to do a lot more. Than, um, under their guidance than I would ever be able to do anything um, um, in the UK. And so um, you learn very quickly because it's um, it's very, very hands-on and it's and it's very, very, you know, very, very serious. I don't know where, uh, quite where um, I've ever felt anything like that. There is, you know, in, say in Joburg, where they're actually, you know, allow you to do um, what, what we were allowed to do um, under those guidance of those doctors. Um, and it was actually, it was, it was fantastic being able to save the guy's life. Yeah, so that, that was quite a, um, a poignant casualty that we, we dealt with. The case that stands out for me is a, a young male, 15 years old, uh, presenting with um, unspecific abdomen pain in the ER when I was doing my uh, clinical time in, in Tanzania. Um, in this case, I started down my checklist, I assessed him, reassessed him, I asked all the pertinent questions, but I couldn't understand the, the symptoms. It didn't make any sense. I couldn't make head or tail of, of my findings. And ultimately, the, the attending doctor assessed the patient and concluded that the patient had some psychological issues. And he had a long discussion with the patient about why he had skipped school, made his excuses to come and get help in the ER. Um, and that, uh, ultimately, that patient was discharged with follow-up. But what was stark here was, in, and why it stands out, is that in my rush to assess this patient, um, I was really treating everybody like a production line in the ER and, and just going through the motions. And as I got into it, this is really one of those first cases when I first was getting to grips with um, becoming competent at the basic observations and, and basic taking of blood and, and so on. And so I was just there to be more efficient and more efficient. And I was missing the point of, of assessing that patient thoroughly and holistically. And so treating, treating patients like the production line in the ER is, of course, a big no-no. And that was, that was uh, a massive wake-up call for me. So it stood out. I mean, it underlined the importance of, of, of personal social history anyway, but it just stood out as the case of stop, look what you're doing, and treat people like people, uh, ER or not ER. Um, uh, and that was the case that I will always remember. That reminds me, I was spending time in, in KCMC there in the base of Kilimanjaro, and um, this this hiker, somebody who had, had been up the mountain, came down with difficulty breathing, shortness of breath. So the first thing we're thinking is, um, hey, and even though as they descend, they, they their symptoms get, very, uh, get better very quickly, but we're checking this uh, patient out, getting differential diagnosis, and just noticed a high temperature. And, and Jason Jarvis's voice comes in the back of my mind saying, any temperature, anywhere in the tropics, you have 100% malaria until proven otherwise. So I'm like, okay, why don't, why don't I just get a, I mean, we're waiting for, for the chest x-ray. Why don't we just get, um, well, yeah, sure enough, this expat 
coming coming down the mountain with hape um, had vivax malaria vivax as well so yeah you've got to not be blinkered in austere environments isn't it you got to think broadly and and city-based paramedics I've, I've spent years and years and years in the back of the ambulance and it's monotonous to say the least it's it's a lot of drunks and you have them for 10 minutes and i very rarely got down to d in my cabc algorithm because as i'm getting down to disability oh we're, we're backing up to the okay well there 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 you go no idea what happened to them uh, for, for us we're stuck with these guys for ages and and we have to go through prolonged field care and and, and reassess and reassess and reassess and not get myopic myopic so i definitely um, i'm happy i didn't miss um that focusing on his difficulty breathing shortness of breath and, and missing the vivax it's when you go somewhere remote i mean we're dealing with mostly um like military young men and stuff and then when you go somewhere remote and then someone hands you a baby and then it goes oh, the baby's ill and then you sort of like okay um and you you have to go through it all the, all the basics to go through it because you know you can't ask the baby what's wrong with them you know and even with the language barrier you can't ask the parents what's wrong with the baby you know so you it's down to your skills in, in the remote environment because you do have to sort of really go back right back to ABC, cabc and all that sort of stuff you just to get um anything out of it so yeah that, that you know you can get a hospital pass like that sometimes that that's um, puts you on the spot pediatrics I, I found getting out of the army the pediatrics is, was the most difficult for me because we just never saw them in the Green Berets unless we were doing a FID mission or something like that. And so yeah, getting on an ambulance and having this squishy thing that's screaming and, and you know, what am I supposed to do uh, with this? You know, and, and yeah. then the learning curve was astounding. And it wasn't until I got to KCMC. And when you, you can go into the PED ward and just see case after case after case after case of all these 18 month, three month old uh, kids, that's where you become proficient. And uh, same with geriatrics and the beauty of, uh, well, doing what doctors do, isn't it? Do this is this mm. is why doctors are amazing. They do six years and then two years of foundation and then they're, they're intensivist training and they see patient after patient after patient. For this, us and paramedics, we, we don't have that much time. So I, that's the beauty of, I found at KCMC and, and Joburg as well for trauma anyway. But, but yeah, just seeing case after case after case and finally get proficient in a very small amount of proficient compared to docs, but um, that has been the challenge. Yeah. On the course, you do learn the foundations of the pediatrics and everything. So you do have academic knowledge, um, if you can remember it. And then, so when you're, when you're with a pediatrician um, and they're sort of just going through their routine, you know, like they go through it every day um, and you just watch, you watch them even just intubate, you know, a pediatric, you know, it's like they just, their hands just glide and it all happens and you're sort of going, okay. And they um, obviously are well practiced and things like that, but it's, it's stepping into that sort of world of you know you're quite frightened. Well, quite frightened, but you know you're very nervous when you're touching them, small children in a hospital setting. I must have clarify that you know because it's like you said they're like the small squishy um, things, and you go and uh, you're fright so frightened of hurting them, doing any harm, and then you've got stick needles and everything in them, and, and you, you can't see veins on, on the babies and stuff. So the pediatricians just they just they, they know where they are and they just stick them straight in, and it's getting through it. It's definitely out of a comfort zone and going into something else which it really is i think pediatrics is probably one of my most rewarding experiences on on my clinical placement because what you thought you know about age and weight and uh, and all of your knowledge 
just pull out your tape and here it is and that's it and that's the size and, and all of that goes out the window in, a, in an environment that's mm. austere or you're seeing patients from the tribe or they are at a different development level uh, uh, to what you expect in the country that you've, you've brought up and I have kids myself and I'm always trying to compare the, uh, their age and their development level to the kids that I see and it's always wrong, it's always off completely. So it was rewarding in the sense that it was you had to reset your thinking and um, work through the new challenge. That is, okay, don't assume anything. Go back, start again, and work through this patient, which was which was brilliant. So I, I found the most rewarding time is, was working on the on the pediatric ward. I wanted to ask you guys kind of a a big picture questions, and and you've been part of the college long enough that I. I feel comfortable asking this. Where would you like to see the college go? What direction would you like to see the college go? What programs or, or what things that we should be doing that we're not doing now? I mean, I mean that's a tough one because actually the college has evolved so much in the time that I've been with it and from um, doing my EMT and Myra and then going all the way through the paramedic and then now there's a degree program and there's a master's program coming and, and things like that. It's come a long way and there's also now the specialist parts. Um, I think, I don't know, maybe some sort of a school that's uh, or, or attachment that is um, in a really r rural, I don't know, maybe jungle setting. Some of the times I've been to these remote places like West Papua New Guinea and everything, when you turn up, you know, you turn up as the white guy um, and they automatically think you're a doctor and they don't have any doctors and all of a sudden everything comes to you and, and the film crew go, oh, yeah, he's the medic. And all of a sudden you're this doctor uh, and, you know, you're trying to save everybody. And you get cues out, cues people outside your hut, you know, because they don't have the medical. And I don't know, maybe something that's in somewhere uh, like that. Maybe it doesn't have to be so remote, but it's, but it's just it's a very good experience for people to sort of realise that actually you're in somewhere where there isn't that much medical uh, you have you have really limited resources. You obviously have top cover to phone if you're you're unsure, but you can't X-ray. Obviously, you can ultrasound and things like that, but you can't. You know, you know, when someone comes into hospital, you sort of give them blood gases and all that sort of stuff, and you get they get all that, and then you read it ECG and all that. You get the they get all that sort of um, readings, and then you sort of make an analysis and everything. You're very limited on to do that, in the sense if you've got 50 people outside your hut. <laughs> And you've got your one little ECG and, you know, something remote like that and under, under some sort of guidance scheme, you know, where, where there's, you know, there's doctors on hand to sort of go, you know, guide you, guide you through it a little bit. Corum camp, uh, field camp. Yeah. Abrick <laughs> leading the charge. Fantastic. Uh, Jim, yeah, I guess we can um, bounce that one back and forth before we hand it to Simon. It's been uh, up until this point, we have focused on academic learning, which means that we had to have you with uh, an, an academic uh, provider like, uh, like Dr. Samir that you saw in, uh, in Joburg and, and Dr. Sakita, who is at KCMC, that uh, you're always under the watchful eye as you go through the program. So, Jim, I'm delighted you mentioned that because that's been on the back burner for a while, only for people who are graduates, people who have experience that won't be dangerous whilst they're in the, a remote clinic in Belize or Borneo and be able to have uh, you know, set up the telemed so that they can always phone a friend. I would like very much to look into how we can do that. PNG, uh, it, it's gotta be, <laughs> it's gotta be safe. So yeah. like Borneo, we, we've looked at some of 
the options there. We've looked at options in, in Belize. Where else would you guys think that this would be a good location? There's Nicaragua. There was some guy set something up there. And there was there was some somewhere in there was somewhere in Asia that people were doing um, something that's in the jungle, um, and I'm not sure whether that was um, northern Thailand or, or or somewhere like that. Yeah, like you say, and it's got it's got to be obviously safe, like security wise. Yeah, it's got to have good comms to have the um, you know the dock on to on 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 call. You know, when you if you are going to have to do something um, that you're trained to do, but it's 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 beyond your remit um in, in in you know clinical terms yeah so you could do something under the guidance of the doctor you want to be able to make sure you've got a good comms on, on, on that so it doesn't want to be like so remote in in sense in the, in the training you can't actually achieve what you're trying to set out to do we did set up before covid we did set up a clinical attachment under the guidance of dr Schertz, who's uh, on our faculty he's a former 18 delta special force of medic and now he's an emergency med doc we flew him and jason and i out to the border of myanmar in mesot thailand and we set up a clinic on some of the carrying civilians who get across the border from myanmar into thailand and they're literally living in a in a dump it was 20 square kilometers of, of just rubbish and uh, they would go in and, and um, harvest rubbish and sell it. And that's how they would get their food and income. And we were setting up an impromptu clinic and treating a lot of the problems they had. Uh, we were hoping to get falsiparum, but unfortunately, Bill Gates removed falsiparum from the Western Thailand, but with uh, lots of Vivax. Uh, so that is something that we've, we've looked at. And now that the pandemic is coming into a, um, a manageable situation. Maybe we can relook at going back to Thailand or, or can look at Nicaragua. Simon, what are your thoughts on directions of the college? I think I'll start with uh, continuing the education or the academic element, which is the college has a, a great reputation now for, especially because this is a, a small community uh, and a very special community of like-minded people, which is a great feeling to be part of. And the college is proven itself because of the people who are in the college and those who keep joining the college. And, and therefore, we benefit as students from all of that network and, and that ongoing training that we get from it. So I think uh, what I'd love to see what the quorum view on continued education is or championing an alumni network uh, of the students for the postgrads as well as the paramedics who are coming out of the uh, BSc program. That's less of an immediate need, but a great opportunity for the future for both the college and the students. I get a lot of interactions or a lot of great knowledge and, uh, and info from the interactions that I have with my peers, the other students who are on the course, for both career options, for, for training, for exploring where paramedicine is going, to, to my earlier points about how this is such an evolving specialism and, and career opportunity. So. Uh, champion of an alumni network, um, as well as then framework for some sort of continued education uh, in, in osteomedicine. I think college will be is very best place to to provide that. And on that point, the uh, field guide, which is of course trumped and uh, pushed by the college <laughs> every time you get a chance on a podcast, but it is really well received and yeah. and popular and so there is a, a a demand for that we are the first batch who used the paper versions before electronic versions came on board and even then it was a valuable resource 
uh, albeit you had a big chunk of, uh, uh, of paper to carry around with you, right, in those days. But there is demand for that in, in the austere environment, obviously, or ironically. So an evolution of that guide into different platforms or formats, along with the evidence-based protocols or templates that you wish to champion would be, I think, a, a fantastic addition. I know that the uh, field guide evolved into uh, or has a, a, a drug guide compendium with it as well, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. That type of evolution is, is in, in my mind, is, is spot on what the college can offer the world and will be highly regarded for it. I still like the paper version for when you go in the jungle, though. We have emails each week of people whinging about the lack of paper and I agree. I'm, I'm old school. I, I have both the virtual and, and the paper and I'm reaching for the paper far more than the virtual. But what the virtual does is search. Yeah, that is awesome where you can do a quick search and find everywhere that is mentioning the abdominal assessment of Dr. Germs. It was just I was writing an article on that one and, and being able to quickly find where that pops up. We are looking at branching out. So a TropMed field guide, critical care, Austria critical care field guide. Uh, we are open to expanding that a bit. I think Looming is the third edition of the field guide, which needs to be discussed and, and um, upgraded a bit. But we'll, we'll get to that. It, it is popular. It's, uh, the field guide is located on seven continents. And we, we definitely have a running start. And I'm open to hearing from our alumni, our students, and interested parties on how we can improve that. The other, the other thing is like um, I, I liked in, in the field guide was actually just the burns calculations and, and you know the, um, and for the drugs um, and how much fluid you're going to give and that sort of stuff. Because when you're actually learning it and you're studying it and you're working out the long way, and then all of a sudden you get this a calculator that does it for you. So in real time, when you're actually using it, you you, you can come up with the figures without sort of um, wasting a lot of time with a pen and pad and a calculator and trying to do it, you know, you can just put the figures in and it comes up with a, you know, um, and then so you can start your your procedure off. Those sort of things, those calculators are <laughs> golden. Michael Clopper has done a fantastic job on on adding additional options that we can't have in a paper field guide. His drug guide is spectacular as well as the calculators. And we'll, we'll continue to add those. Simon, you mentioned alumni. I'm glad you did. Dr. Greck, one of the founders, is our uh, college registrar, which is in charge of the alumni network. And COVID has caused uh, vast amounts of um, whirlpools uh, to navigate. And that has been our focus to just continue supporting you whilst this, um, this major world problem has happened. And now that we're putting that into a nice little box, I think we can relook at this and what Tell me how you would see the alumni network and what suggestions you have uh, uh, to Dr. Greck on how to develop this. If I look back at my previous studies, I already have a degree from many years ago, um, and that came with its own alumni connection through the university. It's a case of the professional development side uh, more than it is the social side for me because we are ultimately working on other sides of the world. But you do want uh, ability to not necessarily compare yourself with peers, but try to get inspiration 
uh, from them and uncover the professional training or knowledge that you might not have had time to research or time to find. So it's a hugely valuable source of, of knowledge. And it's with people who you know have come through the same program as you, who know the same as you, who have shared experiences in their clinical time and so on. And so when you ask those questions, you get you get the right type of answer back, whether or not you're looking for equipment or you're looking for education or you're looking for placements, et cetera. So in our world, paramedicine is very vocational um, and that is a, a hugely helpful um, network. And it's actually part of why you would join uh, a degree program if you can then have that uh, lifetime network with, with you for the rest of your days. I think is is a great opportunity for the student or the graduate once they've graduated, and as well as the college has an alumni network that they can reach out to for both un uncovering new new technologies, new new placements, uh, or uh, new faculty members even. So, uh, lots to be gained by uh, keeping in touch uh, on both sides. I think we'll have to um, have a follow-on conversation with that. I think we need to, uh, because we're finally getting to that point, right? You guys are the first alumni and to, to get through the program. And we're going to have uh, more and more people joining those ranks. Let's create something that's going to be beneficial and maybe provide a clearinghouse for research or things that are going to push austere medicine forward. I think the alumni network is can, can spearhead that. I wanted to open this up to kind of a final suggestion or any points that you guys would like to bring out or any stories or, or anything that you would like to mention as we wind up this podcast. Well, for, for me, it's like I say, I've been with the college now quite, quite some time, but it's actually, there is, it's, 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 there is a kind of family feel. I mean, I, I, when we popped over earlier in the year to do the ultrasound, and, uh, and I met you and Dr. Winston uh, again, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, every time you sort of go back, because when you're in your own sort of world studying and then you come, then you come back to Malta and you, you, you meet you guys again, it's like, you go, oh, yeah, this is, you know, there is that sort of, I don't know, there's a warm sort of um, spirit and it's, it's quite nice. That, that's, that's one of the things about the college that, that is, is good. You know, it's, it's not so massive. Everybody kind of knows everyone. Um, and it's like, you know, you get to know people over the years and that's a, a real um, draw card. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's not just about take your money, here's, do this, there's your, there's your certificate. And, you know, like, like, you know, when you're doing a course and it's like, oh, how, how are you doing? You know, what are you up to now? And, and it, there's that sort of, I don't know, warm glow feeling in, in, the, in the college that's, um, you know, and everyone I've met that, that are on courses there is, has, has got into that sort of mode um, um as well and it's just it's quite it's it's a nice um nice feel it's one, it's one of the only places i've ever found it in in, in training is that um there is that nice sort of family feel at, um to, to learning it's yeah it's, it's not just ticking a box it's you know people genuinely interested in in you learning and, and passing on knowledge and sharing knowledge i think for me the uh, opportunity for the college to become a global center of excellence is there and it's and it's proven because of the environment that you are operating in. Um, and that's not in the back, uh, uh, backyard of Malta for most of the time. So having uh, a base in Malta, you're huge in comparison uh, to uh, a base in Malta and a school in Malta. Um, and that is a valuable addition to the world of, of medicine. So I would love to see the college 
taking part in some of the wider tropical medicine conferences in this side of the world where I'm based in Singapore, um, reaching out to India, Southeast Asia, uh, and demonstrating what the college can offer because those are the communities where ultimately um, the paramedics who are going to graduate from the program are going to find themselves working. And that is, that's our, our niche area of expertise and it's very valuable and in demand. So uh, really the college is, is, is a huge global opportunity to, to be fronting and, uh, and driving austere and remote medicine forward. I think that's the task and purpose that the, the four founders had in mind when we created this in 2016. And it's going to be carried by you lot, you guys, the two of you are the plank owners of the three-year program. And I see that the only way forward is to have the graduates, the alumni network, carry that and push that and create the global clearinghouse of austere medicine. Yeah, our faculty will push, of course, and, and our, our doctoral students are going to be doing their dissertations here in two years, and there's going to be a bunch of different groups that are going to push us forward. But that is my hope. And that's one of the reasons that I created this, to have a global community. And, and Jim, you mentioned family. There's, there's no way that that is not going to have space in the college, no matter how big we get, that this is about teamwork. This is a, and this is coming from my special forces background. You're only as good as your team. Every team member brings something into this. So somebody coming in for a five-day REMPS course and only a five-day REMPS course still brings in something. And I, I still learn from students coming in with no medical training whatsoever. They do a REMPS course and they, they're doing this weird tie with the, the improvised traction device that I've never seen before. I am totally stealing that. So that's a team member, as well as you guys, uh, along with Jordy and, and Grigori, the, the, the four people who are going to graduate first of our, of our bachelor's program. You're, you're definitely leaders within that team. And it is my intention that as you graduate this time next year, when you are, have your bachelor's remote paramedic, I would like very much for you guys to become leaders in creating this collaboration, this camaraderie, this, this world network of, of austere medicine and try to make the world a better place. I'd like to thank Jim Allen and uh, Simon Ruparella for joining us. And uh, I wish the best of luck for you too. Thank you. Thank you, Averick. This has been a presentation from the College of Remote and Offshore Medicine Foundation. If you would like to earn CPD credit for this podcast, you can join the Council of Members. Being a member of the college gives you free CPD credits, free access to the virtual field guide, and discounts on our e-learning courses. You can join the team on the college website, which is quorum, C-O-R-O-M, quorum.org.